Dear friends, we find ourselves on the last Sunday in 2018. What a year it has been. (laughs) Not always in a good way, right? Not always in a good way, whether it was personal events from your life these past 12 months or just the general chaos that we're seeing in our country each day. I think we can all agree that it's been tough at times. But in a couple of days, we get to start over, right? I love New Year's because I think it's such a Christian holiday, or or rather the roots of it are so Christian in nature, because Jesus was all about second chances, and Jesus was all about starting over and resurrection and new life. And so this time of year always puts a smile on my face, because it's a chance for us to start over in a new year. And that just seems like something Jesus would be all about. But we need to be sure that we're actually taking advantage of this chance for a fresh start. We can't just fall into the same old patterns and habits. And that's why I'd like to speak with you this morning on the importance of, wait for it, surprises. In particular, the importance of the ways that God surprises us. Because surprises have the ability to break us out of our normal rhythms. Surprises can help us to see things in a new light. Surprises can help us forge a new path. We will be looking at Luke chapter 2, and I've titled this sermon, Surprise Me, God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. You know that age-old phrase, it's always in the last place you look for it? right? It's a phrase that we toss around a lot because it's just so true. It always seems that we find our missing keys or our misplaced cell phone or our wallet in the most unlikely of places. Until recently, I had been keeping my wallet and my keys on a small bookcase near our front door. It was the perfect spot because as soon as I walked in the door, I could empty my pockets, leave my wallet and keys right there, and then they would be waiting for me when I needed to leave the house again. But lately, there had been a number of times where my keys and my wallet weren't where I left them. And so I'd have to go on this wild goose chase through the house, searching for my keys and my wallet. And these items were always in the last place that I looked. They were under the kitchen table. Or they were in a toy bin. Or one time they were in my wife's shoe. At first I thought I was losing my mind, but then I realized what was going on. I was still putting my keys in my wallet on that small bookcase near the front door, but what had changed is my infant daughter Miriam had started walking. (laughs) One day I caught her red-handed. There she was toddling over to the small bookcase, and I watched as she took my keys and promptly threw them in a nearby flower pot. (laughs) This is why my keys were winding up in such strange places. This is why my wallet wasn't where I left it. This is why I would have to go searching for my cell phone because my daughter was a petty thief. (laughs) But here's the other thing, the other truth about my searches for lost keys and a lost wallet. As I told you in the beginning, there's this age-old phrase about things always being in the last place that you look for them. But you know what? 
there's nothing really groundbreaking about that statement, right? Of course, lost items are in the last place that you look for them, because once you find the lost item, you stop looking. When I found my keys in my wife's shoe, it was the last place that I looked for those keys, because as soon as I found them, I immediately ran out the door so I wouldn't be late to the church council meeting. In our gospel reading this morning, Mary and Joseph lose something very important, something very valuable. They lose their 12-year-old son, who also just happens to be the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Let's look at that story now. Open your Bibles, if you can, in the pew backs in front of you to Luke chapter 2. If you're using the pew Bibles, it's on page 51 in the New Testament. If you brought your own Bible, bonus points for you. You can also pull it up on your cell phone if that's easier. However you need to get to the scripture. Let's read along together. Because there's a few things I want to point out for us. Starting at verse 41 here. Now, every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey, and then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. Okay, stop there. This was actually very common. We hear that Mary and Joseph did this trip every single year. And in fact, there were multiple times during the year where large groups of people would travel to Jerusalem for various holy festivals. They wanted to be in the holy city to worship on that day. And in those days, traveling wasn't very easy. And so it made a lot more sense to go as a group. So you could watch after each other, protect one another on the roads. And so Mary and Joseph, after celebrating the Passover in Jerusalem, set off on their return journey, just like they've done in years past. I'm guessing in years past, they didn't exactly know where Jesus was when they left, and yet they went on their journey anyways and just figured he'd be there in the caravan along the way. Additionally, it's worth pointing out, Mary and Joseph, by this point, had other children besides Jesus. And Jesus, being the oldest child, is probably the one you look after the least, right? I know it as a parent to be true that I worry about my seven-year-old daughter a lot less than I worry about my one-year-old daughter. So anyways, Mary and Joseph are going along their way, not really worried about where Jesus might be. And after a full day of travel, they start to realize, hey, I haven't seen Jesus at all. Where do you think he could be? Okay, so let's keep reading. Verse 45. When they did not find him in the caravan, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. Okay, so as parents, parents out there probably know this to be true. If you've ever misplaced your child in a grocery store or at a mall, the anxiety is great at that moment when you can't place your child. Now, Mary and Joseph, they've been going on like this for three whole days. Imagine the anxiety. Imagine the struggle. But here's what I want to say. Why did it take them three days 
to look in the temple. Think about this with me. Think about this. The son of God, a boy who will grow up to be a great rabbi, a boy whose uncle is the priest Zechariah, a boy who is a child of devout Jewish parents, a boy who Mary already knows, has been told, will be the Messiah. All of this makes you think that you'd check the temple maybe on day two, maybe day one, right? Why did it take them three days to look in the temple? And I know, I know, that you've got to believe that Joseph says to Mary, as soon as they find Jesus in the temple, he says to her, he says, my, my, he's always in the last place that you look for him. But that's not the case, really, is it? That's not correct at all. The temple should have been the first place that they looked for Jesus. And in fact, Jesus tells them so. Look with me at verse 49. And Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Yeah, no kidding, they did not understand. Okay, here's what I'm getting at with all of this. During the rest of Jesus's life, he's going to be a rather unpredictable person. He won't always show up in the places that you might expect. He won't behave in the way that the religious leaders hope. He won't behave in the way that his disciples desire. He will eat with prostitutes, and he will forgive tax collectors, and he will heal lepers. In fact, this moment here, when Jesus is 12 and finding himself in the temple teaching, this might be the only time in his entire life where Jesus is where you'd expect to find him. And yet still, it comes as a surprise to Mary and Joseph. And this is the message I want us to take from this scripture passage this morning. Mary and Joseph are surprised by the actions of their 12-year-old son. And that is a strong reminder to us that Jesus will always surprise us. Here's the thing about surprises, though. You say amen now, but think about it. Do you really like surprises? Especially when Jesus surprises you? My seven-year-old daughter, she really likes to know what's going on. And so this past year leading up to Christmas, when my wife and I would whisper about potential presents for her, she would always catch us in the act and say, tell me, tell me, tell me, what were you saying? And we'd be like, Evelyn, that's not the point. And she'd get downright angry. Tell me what it is, tell me what it is. I'm like, no, 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 that's not how this works. But I shouldn't be too hard on her because really I think my daughter is a lot like the rest of us. We see this tendency in our world all the time. We like to be in the know. Surprises are just those annoying things that pop up and upset our tried and true daily rhythm. We know that our commute to work is going to take exactly 17 minutes. And so it's really upsetting when that detour pops up and we're late. Or maybe you have a friend who just pops over for a surprise visit. It used to be that this was a nice, welcome change to the day-to-day pace. But I think nowadays, as a pastor who goes out door-knocking from time to time, I know that these surprise visits are not as welcome as they used to be. (laughs) We hate surprises because we love control, right? Everything is designed these days to make sure that it's convenient for us. Your cell phone can be programmed with all the apps that you want to make your day run smoothly. Did you know that if you go to Starbucks, there are 82,000 different combinations for how you can order your coffee? 82,000 different ways to get it just the way you like. 
And you better believe that the only reason Burger King is still open is because they said you can have it your way. Because <laughs> the food's not good. <laughs> but I believe that our faith life is suffering from this constant need for control. When we care so much about having it all our way, then that can make it very difficult for us to see the ways that God might be breaking in. When we're so tied to our rhythm and our routine and our daily schedule, it can be really difficult for us to recognize those moments when God is tapping us on the shoulder and trying to show us something different. I know you might not like it, I know it goes against so much of what our society tries to tell us every day, but the truth is, we need Jesus to surprise us. We need Jesus to show up in our lives in a way that challenges our thinking. We need Jesus to show up and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do it like that. We need Jesus to show up to say and to remind us to just slow down once in a while, to enjoy the moment and take it in. We need Jesus to show up and tell us that even when things are falling apart, there's still hope. We need Jesus to surprise us and to challenge us with words of challenge and rebuke. We need Jesus to surprise us with new insights into who our neighbor actually is. We need Jesus to surprise us with the goodness of his love and his grace. I heard a parable a while back about a man who was in the midst of a terrible, terrible flood in his town. But this man, he was a devout person of faith. And so as the waters began to rise, he began to pray. And he said, God, please deliver me from this flood. Save me from the destruction. And a few minutes later, there was a knock on his door. And it was a police officer. And the police officer said, excuse me, sir, we're evacuating this entire town because the flood waters are getting really bad. Would you please come with me? You can ride in the back of the police cruiser. And the man said to the cop, oh, officer, officer, that is so kind of you. But, but I am a man of faith, and, and I've been praying for God to save me from this flood, and so I'm sure that this rain is just going to stop, and I'll be fine. So the police officer left. And the man went to the second floor of his house because the water was starting to seep in under the doorway. And on the second floor of the house, the man prayed, God, the waters are getting a bit higher, but I know that you're looking after me, so please deliver me from this flood. And a short while later, the man heard a knock on his second floor window. And he opened his, peeked his head out the window, and the waters were so high that here was a man coming by on a boat who was knocking on his window and saying, hey, sir, why don't you come out with me? The waters are getting high, as you notice. I'm in a boat. Uh, and the man said to the man in the boat, oh, no, no, no. You don't understand. You see, I'm a man of faith. And so I know that God will protect me and deliver me from this storm. Everything's going to be all right. And so the boater left, and the rain kept falling, and the man climbed out of his window and onto the roof of his house, because the water had gotten so high. And while he was on the roof, the man prayed. He said, God, save me from this storm. Protect me from the flood. And then overhead, he heard a helicopter and a voice from a megaphone and saying, we're throwing down a ladder to you. Climb up. This storm is only getting worse. And the man yelled back, it's okay. God will save me. Later that day, when the man arrived in heaven, he sat down with God and said, God, I don't get it. Why didn't you save me? To which God replied, dude, I sent you a police officer, a boat, and a helicopter. What more do you want? 
I love this parable because it's so absurd. It's so over the top, and yet it's so like us. We have these specific ideas in our head about how things are supposed to be. We say our prayers to God asking for help, but then when the help doesn't come in the exact way that we imagined it, we get angry with God. The truth is, God is in the business of surprising us. God's ways are not our ways. We need to have an open mind when it comes to how God could be working. We need to be prepared to be wrong once in a while. We need to be ready for Jesus to surprise us because that's just the way Jesus works. And so my hope reformation, as we ready ourselves for a new year, it is my hope that we'll be open to the surprises of God. I pray that in 2019, we will have some of our assumptions about our faith challenged so that we can grow in our understanding of God. I pray that in 2019, we will learn to slow down a little bit so that we can start to see the ways that God is already working. In 2019, I pray that we will develop open minds and open hearts about who God is calling us to serve. That we will be surprised by the places and the people God calls us to work with and work for. And I pray that in 2019, we are surprised by Jesus in all the ways I just mentioned, but also surprised again and again and again by the overwhelming goodness, by the overwhelming power of God's love and grace. Amen. Amen.